You love the Word of God today? I tell you, I love the Word, and I, I, I just so thankful to God for the Bible. And we're going to read out of Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Mark chapter 6 with me. And thank you so much, praise team. They did a great job. Give them a hand of appreciation. We appreciate them so much. Um, and while you're turning to Mark 6, let me remind you that June the 3rd, we're going to begin a series on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. I'm going to take you through the book of Revelation. And you say, well, why would you do that? That's a very deep and profound and hard to understand book. It's really not hard to understand. And if there's ever a time that we needed to hear the book of Revelation, it's now. I've been getting ready for it, and I feel like I'm reading today's newspaper when I read the book of Revelation. It is amazing how quickly the signs of, of the times prophetically are coming to pass. And so June the 3rd, Wednesday nights, and we're calling Wednesday nights now Rock Solid. We want you to come on Wednesday nights and get rock solid, get, get grounded in the rock and on the rock because turbulent, time, turbulent times are here, but our God is greater than any turbulence. And uh, so don't miss June 3rd. Tell somebody we're going through the book of Revelation. We're going to talk about all the stuff that Hollywood's done so many movies about, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about the future, which a lot of which is now. All right, stand with me to read Mark chapter 6. And we've got it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And I'm going to start a series today that I'm calling Keys to Keeping Your Cutting Edge. Keys to Keeping Your Cutting Edge. Uh, and today's message is called Trusting God at 1159. Trusting God at 1159. Now, here's a story, Mark 6, 45. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. Everybody say with me, he got him in the boat. I want, to, I want to be clear about that. Now, and to head across the lake to Bethsaida, and while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. There we go. And late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Now notice what it says. He intended to go past them. Everybody say, well, thanks a lot, Lord. All right, go to the... But when they saw him walking on the water, what they do? They did what you would do. They cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. He's walking on the water. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them once, and what did he say? Preach it to me now. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to us. I believe that many in this congregation are in an 1159 moment, and I pray that your word will speak to us and build our faith and help us, Lord, to learn to keep the cutting edge even in the 1159 hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you better perk up and listen. 
because you may be headed to an 1159 moment. Now, I'm uh, sharing on this topic today because I see an attack against the church. I see it primarily happening in the media and in our culture. Uh, our faith is the only faith that is still fair game. Uh, we're seeing people in the media, we're seeing whole networks mock our faith. Uh, Christianity is the only religion you can still persecute and get away with it and not fall under the uh, correction of political correctness. And so our faith is undermined and marginalized and our Lord, our Savior is undermined and marginalized. And I see that there is just this, this uh, attack against our Savior and what we believe. And so I believe every church ought to be opening up the Bible and reading the Bible because by faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You don't want to know what I have to say. You want to know what the Bible has to say. And so I want to minister the Word to you today. I, I believe that God wants His children to be sharp in their faith and in their walk in this day. So when I talk about the cutting edge, let me tell you what I mean, how to keep the cutting edge. What I mean is your, your faith is strong. I'm talking about the way you were when you got saved, when you witnessed to everything that moved. You were at church every time the doors opened. You were excited about God. The first love for the Lord was burning in your heart. There was a skip in your step and a smile uh, on your face and a gleam in your eye. And you were excited uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And zeal was just a part of you. And then life happened. And, you know, I've learned that if I'm going to keep the cutting edge on my spiritual life, I've got to intend to do it. Uh, I can't keep your, your spiritual life cutting edge. I can't keep it sharp. Only you can. You can come to church, but if you don't do what you hear, it's not going to stay sharp. So I'm talking about being in there, in the groove, uh, uh, tight with God, walking in the Spirit, uh, contagious in your faith, victory in your life. Is anybody interested, interested in what I'm saying right here? I'm talking about Christianity that is not lukewarm, half-soaked, half-dead, half-alive. I don't want to be the Laodicean church that is lukewarm and Jesus wants to spew us out of his mouth. He said, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. But don't give me this lukewarm stuff. You're kind of half in and half out. No, I want a church that's hot. I want a church that's excited. He said, well, Pastor Jeff, how do you do that? Well, I'm about to show you one way. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at several ways. But listen to this Bible verse, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. The wise man said, it helps you succeed. So I don't know if you remember the... the uh, um, the cartoon where we've seen so many of them where a cartoon character had an axe and he swung the axe and the axe was dull and he hit the tree and because it was not sharp the handle vibrated and then his arms vibrated and then the cartoon character's whole body was vibrating and it really rattled him because he was trying to bring a tree down with a dull axe. That's the way it is when you are spiritually dull. It takes twice the effort, twice the strength, twice the ordeal to get half as much done unless you are sharp. God wants us to be sharp. And so when our spiritual lives are dull, when we've grown lukewarm in our faith and lackadaisical in our walk with God, when business has crowded in and God has been crowded out, everything is more difficult. 
But when you're spiritually sharp, it takes minimum effort for maximum results. When you're spiritually dull, it takes maximum effort and you get minimum results. So using a dull axe requires great strength, and walking around spiritually dull is going to wear you down instead of giving you good success. Does anybody in here want good success? All right. Well, we're going to talk about it today. Now, uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you particularly about trusting God in the 1159 hour because that's what these disciples were experiencing. The story begins with Jesus sending his disciples across the sea to Bethsaida where an incredible time of miracles and healings awaited them. Now notice, when Jesus puts you in a boat and sends you to the other side of anywhere, something powerful is waiting for you at your arrival. Jesus doesn't send you to a bust. Jesus sends you higher and higher. The path of the justice or of the just is like the shining light. And it shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. When you're walking with God, things are not supposed to get duller and duller or darker and darker. They're supposed to get brighter and brighter. And so when Jesus says, I want you to get in this boat, I want you to undertake this task, I want you to do this particular thing, and he gets you into a boat, and he says, go to the other side. When he does it, you can mark it down, a miracle a, an incredible defining moment is waiting for you on the other side. Look at what was waiting for these disciples in Bethsaida on the other side. It says, uh, it says, when they had crossed over and got to the other side, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Oh, folks, i got to tell you, you can build a great big building and nobody come. You can build a terrible building and it be full. You know what makes the difference? If Jesus is in the house. If Jesus is in the house. It says right here that, what made all the difference is when word got out, not that the disciples had arrived, but that Jesus had arrived on shore and Jesus was on the scene. And that made everybody, they ran throughout that whole region, carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, everybody say wherever he went. Look what happened when Jesus was there wherever he went. Wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, Fort Worth, Dallas. They placed the sick in the marketplace. And look what happened. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. When they landed on the other side, there was a healing revival. And that's why when they launched out and headed there, they experienced trouble. See, this, in, this incredible move of healing was waiting for them, but something happened on the way to their blessing. And you ought not be amazed when the Lord puts you in a boat and you begin to set out for Him and, 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 and on His business. And when you give your life to Him and you say, Jesus, my life is yours, and you step out and you begin to let God use you and you begin to tell people about Jesus and your life begins to count for God, you ought not be amazed that what happens to you is exactly what happened to the disciples because the Bible says suddenly the wind turned against them. It says they were straining at rowing when they set out. Everything was fine. Sky was 
clear and blue, sun shining. They felt excited. Jesus has put the boat. Here we go off to the other side. And then it says, all of a sudden, the wind turned against them. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you need to understand something. There is an enemy. There is an enemy that doesn't want you living for God. There is an enemy that doesn't want your life counting for God. And he will try to get at you. Don't be amazed if once you launch out in a life of discipleship and a life of obedience when the wind turns against you. And all of a sudden, you've got things pushing you back. The temptation to turn around and go back. The temptation to give up. That wind begins to blow against you. The kids go crazy. The finances fall through. All of a sudden, you've got physical problems. It may be one of a, a thousand different possibilities, but suddenly, when everything was fine, the wind begins to blow against you. And here's what they were experiencing. That frustrating feeling of rowing, pushing, struggling, straining to get someplace and being unable to get there. You ever had a dream where you're reaching out for something and in the dream you just can't get it? You just can't seem to get to it? You just can't seem to reach it? That's what they were experiencing. Suddenly, they rode and rode, but the wind in turn blew and blew. It was like one step forward, two steps back. You ever had that feeling? I have. Well, I'm really getting somewhere spiritually. And then all of a sudden something happens and you feel like you messed up you took one step forward and two steps back and Satan's all over your case telling you might as well give up because you're a failure he's a liar and I'm going to preach him out of here today and I'm going to preach you into faith and you got to know these guys were normal men I'm a normal guy and I know what they had to be thinking they had to be thinking this this doesn't make any sense it was Jesus that told us to get into this boat I thought if Jesus told me to get into the boat there, there should be smooth sailing. What is all this trouble? I mean, I'm just trying to obey God. I'm just trying to do the right thing. And suddenly, all these things are against me. This wasn't supposed to happen. I wouldn't be in this boat if Jesus hadn't told me to get in this boat. Now, i got to tell you, I noticed something when I read this story that really spoke to me. And it's important that we note this. Where they were, in the sea at what point they had reached in their journey when this wind began to blow and they began to experience resistance where was it the Bible tells us it was in the middle of the sea the middle of the sea they were at the halfway point between departure and arrival they were halfway through the task halfway to their desired arrival halfway between starting and finishing they were at the halfway point they were in the middle so, Pastor Jeff, why in the world does that matter? Because I've noticed something about people and I've noticed something about me. It's at the halfway point of whatever you're involved in. It's at the halfway point that we're tempted to give up and give in to weariness and faint. Halfway through that college degree, I remember that day with me. When I got halfway through, I looked at where I'd been and said, praise God, I'm halfway. And then I thought, i got to do that again. And at halfway, it began to kind of wear on me. See, there's something about halfway. Halfway through conquering some destructive habit, 
You've come so far, but you look and you've still got so far to go. And the quits want to come on you at the halfway point. Halfway through your marriage. Halfway through life itself. There is a reason. It's called a midlife crisis. Midlife. And isn't it interesting how so many people at midlife, halfway want to give up on their goals, give up on their relationships, give up on their dreams, give up on their vision, and cop out and walk away and take their hand off the plow at halfway. I don't know where you are today in the different projects and goals and dreams of your life, but maybe you're halfway. And suddenly the zeal's gone, the zest is gone, the excitement is gone, and you're thinking maybe there's something else you can do. I tell you, if God gave you that dream and that goal and that vision and you're at the halfway point and you feel like quitting, don't you dare put down the plow and give up. You finish the race because on the other side of somewhere, there is a blessing from God for you waiting. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel were rebuilding the wall surrounding Jerusalem after their captivity in Babylon. And do you know that the Bible says it was at the halfway point that they began to lose heart? Listen to what the Bible says. It says, quote, the whole wall was joined together at halfway to its intended height. It was halfway there, halfway done. And the people, when they had built the first half, the Bible describes their attitude, and it's so typical, their attitude, the first half, was they had a mind to work. They were excited about the wall. I mean, cranked about that wall. We're about to build the wall surrounding our city. God has given us our city back and our destiny back. Thank God I'm excited. But then something happened. Something happened halfway. Halfway through the task, a word began to travel around amongst the children of Israel. Listen to what the word was. It said, quote, the builders are exhausted. The rubbish piles up. We're in over our heads. We can't build this wall. In the first half, they were can-do. In the second half, they were can't-do. We can't do it. We're tired out. We can't bring this about. In the first half, they had a mind to work. In the second half, they didn't want to work. They wanted to give up. They wanted to quit. And I believe on our nation right now, there is a spirit that has been released against America. Can I be that bold? And that spirit that has been released against America is the spirit of quitting. Those that have believed God for a move of God, those that have believed God to, to move mightily in our nation are discouraged. You're discouraged over work. You're discouraged over your home. You're discouraged over your marriage. You're discouraged. And there is something speaking to you saying, quit, give up, walk away. It's not worth it anymore. That's what these people were going to do. They said, we're in over our heads. We can't build this wall. Can I tell you a little secret here? None of that was true. They had believed a lie. They weren't in over their heads, and they could build that wall. And when that voice says to you, you can't do it anymore, you can't go on anymore, give up, throw in the towel, put up the white flag, walk away, that's a lie. You can do it, and you can finish your wall, and you can reach the end, and you can reach your blessing.
In the second half, they became exhausted, lost heart, and began to say, we cannot do it. Now, let me tell you what their problem was. Their problem first was, instead of focusing on their destiny and their purpose, which you've got to do, they began to focus on the rubbish surrounding them. Listen to what they cried out. There is so much rubbish. What they did was they took their eye off of their goal, their eye off their dream, their eye off of their God, and they began to look at all the rubbish, the mortar, the bricks, the tools, the unfinished wall. And there was so much rubbish piling up and stacking up on them. They were focused on the rubbish, got their eyes off God, and that's the reason they began to faint. Dear church, I tell you today, it is so crucial what you focus on. Your focus will decide where you end up. Your focus will decide your state of mind. Your focus will, de- will decide the victory of your spiritual life. When Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water, he was looking right at Jesus. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves, he began to sink. And it's the same thing with you and me. You can't focus on the problems, on the rubbish, on the difficulties, on the impossibilities, and get there. We have been told, looking unto Jesus. Can you say that with me? Looking unto Jesus. It says when Stephen was being stoned to death, martyred as the first New Testament martyr, it says he looked up and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne of God. And he said, Behold, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand. And they couldn't stand it. And you know who really couldn't stand it? Saul. He grabbed and gnashed his teeth and shut up his ears. And they swept down on him and went ahead and fully murdered him. What was he doing? He was focusing on the victory, not the defeat. He was focusing on the Lord and not the rubbish. And he died in glory. The Bible says they also were focusing on their enemies. They were focusing on the enemy. And here's what they said. They said, before they know it or see us. They were quoting their enemies. The words of their enemies had come to them. And the enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we're going to kill them and we're going to stop this work. Then the Jews who lived near our enemies came and told us ten different times their own people came and gave them a report that knocked the wind out of their sails. They said, wherever you turn, they're going to attack you. Their own people were telling them, you better stop building this wall. And then they began to faint, stricken with weariness, hindered by focusing on the rubbish rather than the vision, and fearful of the enemy, the people began to faint. What are you looking at today? What are you focused on today? When you wake up in the morning, do you set your mind on him? Or do you turn on the TV and let that gut rot go into your soul? Halfway across, they began to lose heart. Halfway through the project, they began to faint. And this is what happened to the disciples. Halfway across the sea, halfway towards their goal, they began to strain and push and faint in their souls. They focused on the winds and the wave rather than their destination. And time was running out. They were near quitting. It was 11.59, and that's the way some of you feel today. You know God has spoken to you. You were excited in the past. 
there's a blessing on the other side. You know that you set out on a spiritual journey, and of late it has seemed like you're kind of being worn down and worn out, not near as excited as you used to be. You started out with hosannas and hallelujah and excitement, but now unexpected winds blow against your faith. You're halfway, and it's become a battle. It might be a provision God's promised you or a ministry God has called you to, or a healing you need, or a business He's told you to build. You're beginning to wonder about your dream, if it's ever going to be fulfilled. Today I want to tell you what Nehemiah told his own people in the day of pain and turbulence and storm and 1159. He said, don't be afraid. Can you say that with me, everybody? Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Get your eyes on God who is great and awesome. He's an awesome God. Get your mind on Him and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He was saying, get your eye back on God and get your focus back on what He's called you to do. I'm calling some of you back to your focus. I'm talking to some of you today and telling you you're half soaked, half sour, you're about ready to faint, and I'm telling you get your eyes back on God and get your focus back on what He's called you to do. Don't you dare give up because there's a blessing waiting on the other side. Jesus is walking towards your boat right now. Israel's destiny was to build a nation, a posterity for generations to come. And Nehemiah's encouraging words got them back on task, and they, they brought about an engineering miracle. They finished this massive wall in 52 days. So when they said, we can't, they were wrong. Not only could they, but they could do it in a major, miraculous way. And so can you. Now, something else happened in this story. Jesus waited until the fourth watch to walk out to them with assistance. Now, the fourth watch was between 3 and 6 in the morning. They'd been out there all night long, but he waited till the fourth watch. Now, my first reaction there is, thanks a lot, Lord. Thanks a lot for waiting till the fourth watch. We've been struggling for a while now. The Bible tells us he was watching them from the very beginning of their journey. But just before they gave up, at 11.59, in the nick of time, Jesus took action. It says he saw. Everybody say with me, he saw. He sees you. He sees you straining at rowing. He saw that they were in serious trouble. And I like those, those words so much. I want you to say it with me again. He saw. Now say it with me. He sees my struggles. I don't know what that does for you, but that blesses me. Now if he saw from the beginning and saw that they were beginning to struggle and strain, why do you wait till the fourth watch before he came out to them and helped them? Can I give you a big idea? I'm going to give you a big thought. Here it is. God will often wait until our natural strength and ability are gone so that He alone can get the glory when the breakthrough comes. I guarantee you. These are strong, tough, weather-beaten fishermen. So they had a lot of strength. Jesus sat there on the shore and waited. First watch, second watch, third watch fourth oh no 11:59. i'm getting tired he says now it's time and he headed out to them and he also waits i believe so that we can learn to lean on his strength rather than our own i love that song learning to lean learning to lean learning to lean on jesus 
finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. How? Learning to lean on Jesus. It's when our natural strength is expired and we've done all we can do that Jesus comes walking on the waves of our struggles and helps us to the other side. Paul found this out, and I love this verse. When Paul was at his wit's end, and it was 1159, he would prayed about his thorn in the flesh over and over again. The Bible says Jesus spoke to him and said these four powerful words, my grace is enough. Those words to me, I could eat them like chocolate. My grace (laughs) is enough. My grace is enough. Well, how are you ever going to find that out unless you run out of your own strength, your own ability, your own genius, your own talent for getting out of things? How are you ever going to find that out until you are worn down and don't have any answers left? Then you're going to experience what Paul did. He said, once I heard him say that to me, I quit focusing on the handicap. I quit focusing on the wrong thing and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Isn't that a good, good phrase? His strength moves in on your weakness. He says, now I take limitations in stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size. Then he named a few. When I'm abused, when I have accidents, when I have opposition, when I have bad, tough breaks in life, I just let Christ take over. I let Christ take over. Do you realize that sometimes we're so strong, we're not even going to think to let Christ take over until we're worn down and don't have anything left. Then we have the brilliant idea of letting him take over. He says, I just let Christ take over, and so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's why some of you are here today. I mean, think where you were last year. Think where you were a couple of years ago. You thought you were down for the count. Satan was given the count over your life, and he was to nine. You thought it was over with for you. But here you are today. What are you doing here today? You're not supposed to be here. He had you down. He had you in a corner. But here you are praising God. Here you are singing songs about Him. Here you are seeking the Master. How did that happen? It happened by grace. Right when you couldn't take another step, you took another step. Right when you couldn't take another breath, he started breathing again. And he stood you on your feet. And he put a new song in your mouth, even praise to our God. And many are going to see it and trust in the Lord and give glory to him. He has set your feet upon a rock. He has brought you up also out of a horrible pit. And he has saved you and rescued you. You ought to thank God for that today. So God's in 1159 God because the first 59 minutes are there to teach you how limited your own strength is and how unlimited His strength is. You know, all throughout the Bible, He's an 1159 deliverer. All throughout the Bible. Sometimes I wish He wouldn't wait till 1159, but He does. He waited till Lazarus was dead. 
before stepping into the scene to raise him. He waited till Peter was sinking in the water before holding out his hand to grab him. He waited till the boat was filled with water before calming the storm at the disciples' cry. He opened the Red Sea when Pharaoh's chariots were breathing down the necks of the trembling Israelites. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not from the burning fiery oven, but in the burning fiery oven. He delivered Daniel not from the lion's den, but in the lion's den. He made the sun stand still for Joshua right when it looked like the enemy was going to take them out. At 1159, our God shows up and gives us not a breakdown, but a breakthrough. Say, Pastor, I feel like I'm headed for a nervous breakdown. No, you're not. You're headed towards a spiritual breakthrough. Look up and give God the praise. There's something else in this story, and I want to close with this. This really talked to me this week. I couldn't figure out, what is this deal with him acting like he's going to pass by? I, I know the Lord doesn't mess with our emotions. He doesn't play games with us. He's not a divine tease. It says he came to them walking on the sea, and he acted as if, he meant to pass by them. Can you imagine? They're out there. They're sinking. It's 1159. They're about to give up and call it quits and go home and go fishing again. And here he comes walking on the water. And they say, oh, he's come to rescue us. And he just starts to walk on by. <laughs> How's that straining? How's that pushing? I said, I don't get it. And then I remembered a number, another time when he did the same thing. When he's walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He eases up next to them. What's going on, guys? They tell him all about his own death and resurrection. They don't recognize him. They witness to Jesus about Jesus. They get to the gates of Emmaus, and here's what it says. Then they drew near the village where they were going, and he acted as if he would have gone further. But they constrained him and said, hey, hey, wait a minute. Abide with us. Twice he did this. So I'm going, what's the deal? Here's another big idea. You ready? Here's why I think he did it. God's a gentleman. He will not force himself into our life. He waits for us to humble ourselves and say, God, I admit to you, I need your help. The wind's against me. I'm running out of strength. Lord, I can't do this alone, and I know I can't do this alone. You heard how long I've been preaching. I've been pastoring 26 years. I've seen this about people. Do you know how many people will die and go into a Christless eternity because of pride? Because they won't say, Lord, I need your help. And you know how many Christians I see never get delivered of something they could be delivered of or helped in something they could be helped with because they won't humble them, themselves. And as he acts like he's going to pass by, I say, wait a minute. Please come and help me. Here's the powerful thing. I want you all to see this today and walk out with this image. Because they're in the boat. They're sweating. They, they've tried. They, they're not getting anywhere. It is a picture of futility and frustration. 
They're stuck in life. And as soon as they cried out and acknowledged him and called on him, it says he got into their boat. And as soon as he was in it, they were at the other side. Now, that's not there for us to read like a fairy tale. That's there for a reason. Because you see, it's telling us there's things you can't do, you will never be able to do on your own. Things that you will never bring to pass, that you will never beat, you will never defeat, you will never overcome, you will never get an answer to. There are things where you will be stuck in life. Unless you say, God, I've done all I can do. I've rowed all I can row. I've gotten as far as I can get. And now, Lord, it's going to have to be you. And you'll find that when he gets into your boat, when he gets into your struggle, when you invite him into your pain, you'll find he'll take you a distance you couldn't have gone in years if you had been left alone. I'm talking to you today about my Jesus. I'm not talking about some religion. He's a real person. And he can help you. He can take you where you would never go on your own. I can testify to you about that. In my own life, I am only here by the grace of God. Paul said it right. I am what I am by the grace of God. And what I'm not yet, the grace of God just hadn't done it yet. But I am what I am, if it's good, if it's godly, if it's right. I am what I am by the grace of God. He got in the boat, and whew, they were to the other side. The disciples in Emmaus asked him in, and whew, their eyes were opened. And they got right back on the road and went right back into Jerusalem, and they were there for Pentecost. See, folks, we've got to humble ourselves before God. Can you stand with me? See, this is all about keeping the cutting edge. We keep the cutting edge of our faith in the 1159 hour by learning to lean and draw from his strength, trusting when we don't understand, and humbly inviting Jesus into our struggle. I know you saw with me all week long these terrible Murders and catastrophes happening. People going off the deep end. You know what gets me about what's happened this week and for really weeks in a row now? These have been professional people, educated people, successful people, by the world's standards, who reached a point where even with all their money and success and education, they were stuck. And if you have no way out and you're stuck, you do crazy, stupid things. But I'm telling you today, there is a way out. Invite Jesus into the boat. I want you to invite him in the boat of your marriage, the boat of your own mind, where the temptations are assailing you. I want you to invite him into your body where you're addicted to something that won't let go. He can break that. If you don't know Jesus... As your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to let him into your boat. Let him into your boat. And see if you don't start going places you could never have gotten to without him. Every head bowed in prayer. Could we for a moment?
You can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, and I know exactly what you were talking about today. I have experience in my own life. The, the loss of that cutting edge, that, that keen, spiritual, cutting edge life where I was spiritually sharp. And, and it, it's gotten dull, and I want it sharpened again. I'm tired of striking the tree of life with a dull axe blade. Or you can say, you know what, Pastor Jeff? Here I am in church, but I don't know for certain if I've ever been born again, if I've ever verbally and distinctly accepted and invited Jesus into my life, into the boat with me, and I would like to leave this building today with the peace that lets me know I'm right with God. If you're in either one of those categories, would you slip your hand up right where you are and let me see you. Put, put it up good and high.